0: My friends, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. This is Kristen Sruer, one of your hosts. You are listening to the last episode of 2021, episode 111, and I'm really excited to share today's episode and guest with you, Neelib Yushazi, who has an incredible story. Neelib was born in Afghanistan and shares what it was like to live under the Taliban rule for her family and as a woman, Neelab and her family, which includes six kids, fled the Taliban, eventually making their way to the US. She shares of this harrowing journey, not only of escaping Afghanistan, but really what it was like to end up in a new country with hardly anything and no familiarity of the culture or language. Neelab has a profound perspective on the world and always looks toward the light and how she can help others and just keep moving forward. She has taken the learnings from her own journey and started an organization called Fresh Start Refugee Assistance Center, which is serving refugees in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia metropolitan area. You'll hear more about that in today's episode as well. Neelib's story, advice, and perseverance are truly illuminating. I hope you love my conversation with Neelib and take away as much as I did. So, Neela, I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to the Illuminate podcast. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be um,
1: here and to be speaking with you, and thank you um, for having me.
0: Well, it's really great to have you here. I had actually learned about the organization that you started, Fresh Start, from Welcome U.S., which is Uh a group that I follow Um, for the important work that they're doing with Afghan refugees. And so I went and learned more about your organization. And then I learned more about your background. So you were born in Afghanistan, right?
1: Yes, I was born in Kabul. And I basically, I was about 12 years old when I came to the United States, 10, between 10 to 12 years old, I think. I um, So I was pretty much raised in Afghanistan partially. Um, and then when the Taliban came, I lived in Afghanistan during that time. And I was in second grade when they came to Afghanistan. So I basically didn't go to school during that time because they shut down schools like they have now, you know, they everything anything for women and girls was basically the public spaces were close to us you know um if we if my mom left the house she needed to be with you know a male figure to go out in public or to you know even if she was going to a relative's home she couldn't get into like a taxi and go and then aside from that basically I, myself, as an eight-year-old, was deprived of, you know, education, deprived of, you know, being a child, basically, because simply because I was born, you know, a girl versus like being a boy, where they, you know, had space in public, they had education for the boys, even though it might have not been the best form of education, but they, it was available to them. And then I moved to the United States in 2000 after a really rough journey, you know, through all these different places that my parents had to kind of travel through to get us here. Um, We were in Pakistan for nine months. And then we came to the United States in July 2000. So right before 9-11. It was interesting timing because it was right You know, before 9-11, no one knew where Afghanistan was when I came to the United States. Um, When I would say, oh, I'm from Afghanistan, people would be like, where is that? You know, after 9-11 happened, then everyone knew where I was from. So there was a drastic change between, you know, like how people perceived me before they knew where I was from versus, you know, afterwards. And we were in Jersey. Uh, For about five years, my uncle actually is um, basically the person who saved us all, you know, um, from Afghanistan to here. Basically, he was our biggest support. He was that light in my life, (laughs) you know, and he sponsored about 35, 40 of us. Family members. Family members. So it it was, you know, his three brothers, his two sisters, each of whom had, you know, five, six, seven kids. We all lived in Jersey um, and he was basically like a one man army, you know, and he provided us with everything we needed, Um, even though the journey was like long and hard and you know, not understand, not speaking English, you know, and having that language barrier and, you know, being in a new environment where you're not familiar with at all. Um, it was, you know, an, an interesting time for us um, because here, here we were, you know, like in a country where they you know, we had no space as women and we came here and then we, you know, it was a completely different, a culture shock, basically, you know, I had missed at that point, I had missed school between, I didn't have any education between seven, uh, between second to seventh grade. And when I came to the United States, I was, you know, 12 years old. So they placed me in seventh grade. And, um, I didn't speak the language. I had missed my entire primary education period and I had to learn to kind of stand on my feet because my family sort of depended on me because I was the only one that was kind of picking up the language faster. Mm. And I was also the oldest of six kids. So, yeah, um, yeah both of my parents were working full-time jobs and you know um my dad was working overnight at you know like a the Popeyes basically and my mom was working at ShopRite and um I we I was basically taking care of my five other siblings I was like the parent in the house while my parents were not there and um Basically, over time, I became, you know, like, the parent, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I was, um, you know, paying the bills, I was, you know, at conference, you know, like, when they have the school conferences, and etc, I was doing that with my siblings, making sure that they were doing okay. In the meantime, also studying myself and Right after, I think at the end of eighth grade, I was um, able to get my first job at ShopRite. And so I started working um, that year. I think I was like one of the youngest people that they had hired. (laughs) And it was because of like my mom who already worked there. They were like, oh, you know, they wanted to help her out because she had six kids. So I ended up working there and then... Basically, it was everything that the families are going through currently, I went through this process with my family and the struggle of even though we had my uncle to kind of go back to or get help from, but he wasn't always present because he was catering to 40 other, you know, 35 or 40 other people as well. So it was hard for him. And there were, I wish I had, you know, someone who would kind of, you know, help me with homework or teach me a few things that I didn't know about or introduce me to resources that were available at the time, you know. Um, mm. But I feel like, you know, my dad was a pharmacist back home, my mom was a teacher. And when they came here, both of them had to just kind of, do what they were like basically in survival mode, you know, mm-hmm. trying to make sure that they make ends meet. Um, and so I totally understand the struggle that many of these families are currently going through, and what you know it's like to kind of be in a place where you're so unfamiliar with everything. Mm -hmm. you know, and having someone that you can just call and say, Hey, I don't understand this. It makes such a huge difference. And I have to tell you, I am so proud of the community I live in because in in Nova particularly, and you know, so um, Nova
0: just for everybody's knowledge is Northern Virginia.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because they have come together and they are basically holding each other's hand because this was a very hard time for the Afghans in this country. And even for the Afghans back home, obviously it's 10 times harder, but to go through this again and again and again, basically I was born in war and I continued to live through that process You know, as I'm growing mm-hmm. older. And it's heartbreaking, because for the past 20 years, we all had hope, we all had a lot that we were holding on to. And now it's like, we're back to the dark ages, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, women are not allowed to get an education, they're not allowed to, you know, get a job or be in public spaces for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is scary because yeah. i've lived on both sides of the those spaces and understand that it's not
0: an easy process like i you know curious about when you were in second grade and the taliban took over so when you were born it was peaceful right in afghanistan um not exactly no okay what year were you born i was born in 87 87 okay
1: So, um, you know, like it wasn't too long between, you know, like the time that the Russians left and then, um, you know, um, the new regime, which was Dr. Najib. um, I think he took over until 92. And then it was like, you know, another chaos after that. I think it was the Mujahideen after that. And then in 96, um, the Taliban took over, so it was like one regime after another. Because I lived in Kabul when um, and when I was born, and then um, I think I was probably four um, when we moved to Mazar Sharif, because Kabul uh, was really bad with you know like the war the but the bombings and, you know, like it it was not a safe place to live. Mm-hmm. And so um, my I I don't know if you have read one of my pieces that I wrote, um, not read, but some, a friend of mine wrote. Um, there was a time I was basically, we had to leave our home. And I remember I was, my brother was just born. He was probably like a week old. And uh, my sister was about two years old and I was about four. And um, my dad was holding my sister and my mom was carrying my brother. And we were running from our home to go to my uncle's house because of um, the bombings and everything that was happening and the bullets that were just kind of like going over our heads. And I remember looking up the skies and I could see the bullets passing through and I thought, you know, like it was like fireworks or like shooting a star. not that I reflect on it at the time. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, you mm-hmm. know, but like also didn't realize that I, as a four-year-old, I was like, running behind my dad holding his hand you know Mm -hmm. um and that at any point I could have died my dad could have died
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and so there there are times that you kind of live through those moments because it kind of you it it's like a flashback you know Mm -hmm. and so yeah I lived in Kabul and then after second grade i wasn't allowed to go to school and how did you process um,
0: that as a second grader do you do you have like memories of that or do you does, do your parents ever talk about how you processed it
1: um the memories i have are like when they burned the books and they shut down my school cuz i went back one time because they said, oh, they were going to let young uh, girls go back to school like they have now. And I remember going back with so much hope in my heart because I was like, oh, I'm going to see my friends,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. Um, and I went back and we, there was like one or two teachers in uh, the school and they were basically saying like, well, you know, just don't keep, your hopes up because we don't think this will work but we'll let you know so I came home but then like a few days later they said yeah no that didn't work and it just felt I just remember thinking like oh I don't I won't see my friends anymore yeah you know and and you would think that there were i'm sure there were other things that might have run through my head at the time but that's the only thing i remember that mm-hmm. like i never got to see my friends again yeah um and i never got to like hold a book because You know, everything was basically, they would come to people's homes and collect things and take them, like, pictures, videos, TVs, um, anything um, that they could find. they would take it and burn it or, you know, like, just demolish it. So, um, you know, those are the things I remember, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was there. And then... When I came here, it just, I had such a passion or like, um, a lot of motivation because I felt like I was so behind on everything and I was always like, just trying to learn as much as I possibly can within that process because, um, I felt like I was responsible for everyone around me, mm-hmm. for my siblings, for my parents. So I kind of became a parent, and then I just decided to kind of hold on to that responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. at a young age, and um, and continue to basically work my way through like all of all of the changes that was taking place in my life, mm-hmm. and. About like after about five years, we moved to Virginia because my dad found found a better job here, and we were like, you know, let's start a new life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And it Virginia was a life changing experience for me um, because it gave me opportunities that I don't
0: think I would have had in New Jersey. Mm. Like I mean, I'm proud because I'm from Arlington, Virginia.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like Virginia is the longest I've ever lived anywhere, right? Uh So this is like, this is a place I call home, Mm -hmm. you know, even though it might not be considered that, but like, this has been the longest I've ever lived anywhere. The longest I've been in a community, the longest I've had all of my friends around, Mm -hmm. So this is, this is home to me, no matter where I go, I will always like, think of this place as my home. Yeah. So the reason why that is um, with Virginia is because I found the community. I was inspired by a lot of people that I met here. For example, during school started, um, well, when I, moved here i was in uh, like it was my senior year of high school ah where did you go to high school oh uh, i went to lee okay yeah and that was quite a a culture shock on its own because i the how school system in new jersey worked versus how school systems here worked. that's completely different mm-hmm. and it was so diverse you know um to me, I was like, wow, there's so many different people here. And, you know, it was just, it, it it was kind of inspiring to me because I was like, like, there are people from all over the world here, you know. And I, I love that. Um, but I also during that time, uh, it was financially hard to be here because even though like, New Jersey was not the best place to live, um, at the time, at, at least from my perspective, because we didn't have much, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, when we moved here, our lives just slowly got better. You know, we moved from like a two bedroom apartment to like a house, for example, mm-hmm. and that made a world of difference because I, for the first time I had my own room and <laughs> I had my own, you know, like, space. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, that's why it was also, like, in that sense, it was different. Mm-hmm. So one of the first few people that I met that inspired me, um, her name is Saba Garab, Um And she is, she was, at the time, she was um, basically running the school, the senior class government, I think when I met her, I just, I was just like, she is so amazing. Like, you know, she was just so inspiring with the way she spoke, the way she carried herself and the work she did. And she, today, now she's actually, um, I think a neck and back surgeon. Mm. Um, And she, I think she started Around, she's my age, so she comes from some sort of a similar background, but I watched her grow through this process too. And I was, you know, like she was such an inspiration um, to see during high school when I moved
0: here. And was they, she, uh, is she from Afghanistan as well?
1: Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. That was the other thing. Yeah. Um, that I was just about to say because so she was afghan and when i met her i was like wow like she's so smart she's so brilliant she is doing amazing work like you know like i want to be like her
0: mm-hmm.
1: so uh and from there on basically like i just i was working two jobs <laughs> i was working a full-time job um at cvs and then i was also working a weekend job um So I was working a full time job and then I was working a part time job um, at Marriott and um, it was I barely had time for me. So I would work, you know, around the clock um, because it was during the time that like my family was just picking up their lives, basically. So I wanted to be like contributing to all of it Mm -hmm. with them. Um, because we had bought a house, my dad had a mortgage now, and so I was just trying to, you know, do whatever I can to yeah. help him through that process. Because having six kids in this country is not easy.
0: Were all six of you born in Afghanistan, or were some of your siblings born here?
1: No, we were all born
0: in Afghanistan. So wow. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to hear more about your journey to get to the U S and especially with six kids, what did that look like?
1: A lot of fighting, (laughs) a lot of arguments. (laughs) I think we could have had like a Kardashian show ourselves.
0: (laughs) 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 Tell me a little bit more about when your parents decided to leave Afghanistan and and sort of what that journey, like what journey did they take to get you guys here once your uncle was able to sponsor you?
1: We left during like a very chaotic period because my dad had been, um, my dad was actually dressed well. And this sounds kind of this is the this is basically the reason why we left because my dad was picked up by the Taliban because of the fact that he was wearing a bright color outfit which is mm-hmm. like a paid on Um, and it was blue and um, like uh, around the chest of it they they like um, sew it with like they, it's like sort of hand sewed with like like a decorative you know piece. Mm-hmm. And so he was wearing that and he had left. It was in the morning. He went to um, go to go to work because my dad owned a pharmacy and um, they picked him up from the street and he was actually standing with um, the sheikh or the imam who like uh, leads prayers at, at the mosque. Um, because he was saying something they were having a conversation by the street before my dad went to work so they stopped the car picked up my dad and the the imam asked him asked the Taliban basically like what are you guys doing and they were like oh like we're taking him and there he was like well for what and he was like they basically said like he was dressed too nice or too clean and that he needed to you know not be dressed this way and et cetera. So they were probably gonna go beat him up and et cetera, but they didn't because the Imam was like, well, this man is helping a lot of people in this community and he lives right next to the mosque. He comes to prayers all the time. Um, And so he stood up for my dad that day Basically, they didn't take him because of, like, the imam that he was standing with. And we actually are still in contact with that same imam to this day because, you know, he, if he wasn't there, I don't know, like, what could have, you know, happened to my dad. Uh, When he came home, he said, like, he's going to call my uncle because at that point, Some of our family had already left, some of my uncles and aunts. So he called my uncle and told him that any day they could probably, like, take him or they could beat him up or he could lose a child if, you know, like, my uncle could help him, uh, you know, get him out. That's when my parents, like, basically overnight packed their bags, moved uh, to to Pakistan and the journey to Pakistan was another sort of like a nightmare because um, one like you leave your entire family without ever saying goodbye to them and you leave with nothing yeah because you don't have a choice um. So,
0: I'm sorry? No, don't be.
1: You know, we went from there through like the mountains and through all these different places, going from one place to another, to another, to another. And we made it to Kabul. Because it wasn't like you can just get up and fly, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So from Kabul, then we made it to Pakistan. But on the way to Pakistan, I remember we were passing the border. And recently, I, I had seen how the border patrol was... Treating like the Haitians. Mm -hmm. And those pictures literally reminded me of my own experience going through that border. Because I remember you know, there were men, police officers, border patrol with like, you know, sticks and guns and everything, just you know, just knocking everybody down. And it's like, you're not human to them, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't have, as humans, there should be some sort of, like, you lose your dignity. Mm -hmm. You lose that respect when you go through those borders and you feel the things that you feel like you, you're nothing, anybody could do anything to you and it won't mean anything because mm-hmm. on the one side, you don't have a government that will protect you. And then on the other side, you're forced to find like peace, you're forced to find, you know, like a new home somewhere that you could just, you know, that you're not going to be dead the next day. You know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: someone's just not going to, you know, like pick you up from the street and you nobody will ever know where you end up. Yeah. So we, you know, a lot of these things that we're actually talking about, I've never really spoken about it because it's a journey that I went through and for many years I blocked it. And also as a child and as I was growing up, I felt like I needed to focus on what was important Mm. and what, like, how could I change my life for the better? Because that's my past and I can't live in my past. I need to continue to move forward, continue to stay present and be here you know Mm -hmm. and because of that I never reflected a lot on my past I kind of blocked a lot of it until like literally this recent August when a lot the you know like the crisis happened and it made me kind of realize how much I had put behind me Mm -hmm. you know I, I didn't want to remember it because those are all memories that I had blocked for years, you know,
0: when well, you stepped into, as you said, that role, you basically were the parents, right. Of five yeah. other children, and you were all trying to make ends meet. I mean, it's also your dad went from owning a pharmacy to working overnight at a Popeye's. Right. I, I mean, and I think that's the journey that your parents were on as well is, is remarkable, um, to keep everybody safe and to yeah. give you, and to give you that op- those opportunities.
1: I mean, if it wasn't for my uncle and obviously my parents, my siblings, my cousins, and I would probably never have known our true worth value. Um, within, like, the human community, like, um, since my family's, like, escaped, like, I have viewed my life in Afghanistan in an illuminating experience, you know, Mm -hmm. one where, like, I learned to appreciate light, because I have lived through the dark, the deepest, you know, dark, darkness, Um, and like, this is where, this is one of the reasons why I actually studied human rights. And this is one of, you know, be in the hopes that I would be able to bring light to others, I would be able to help those who are suffering from, like, oppression, who are suffering from, you know, being trapped in darkness, to bring them to a place where they understand that, they are human and they are just as equal as everyone else, you know, mm-hmm. and to never feel less about themselves. Because when you have to leave everything you possibly know, you know, to just, you know, go to a place that you don't know anything about, that in itself, speak the language, yeah. right? Like, speak the language, no, like it's like you're, you're walking in blind, right? Mm -hmm. Like without being able, like, and death. (laughs) And, you know, like, you're unable to communicate, you're unable to really understand. So that process itself can easily break your spirit, Mm -hmm. you know, but you just have to kind of and you know, push yourself through it because we can't let the things that we go through, our dark experiences, change our present or future, you know, because we only, like, you as an individual can change that, you know. And I took that upon myself because I felt like you know, like I have come such a long way. You know, I'm not going to like this is, every part of my journey. There were hurdles, there were roadblocks, there were, you know, things that could have shattered, you know, me. But, you know, you just, I just learned to keep moving forward, mm-hmm. you know, and I guess part of it is because of like my family because my family meant the world to me and i knew like the sacrifices my parents made for us to be here and so there was no way for me that i like i would disappoint them in any way so i i just became that person to just keep pushing all of my siblings to like, you know, go to school, to help them with homework, to help them with projects, to read their essays, to write their essays or like, you know, it, it was just like, it, it was a given that I had to do that, like, because my parents had done it for me, like they had given up their whole entire life, you know, to allow me to have the education or to have this life, you know so and one of the things that changed my life i would say um the right when i finished college which so i was i um got into this program through american university um as i was graduating and it was called community-based learning Mm. and i ended up taking my first trip out of the country um, and going to South Africa. And while I was in South Africa, I worked with um, several nonprofits, Grandmothers Against Poverty and AIDS, Sister for Sister, Sibangile, which was an um, orphanage for disabled children. And I worked with many of these women, children, grandmothers, families, you know, women who had endured domestic violence, grandmothers who had lost their children, and now they were raising, you know, their grandchildren. And it was such a life-changing experience because they had so little in their lives, but they met, they like, when you, you know, like when you saw them, it was like they had the whole world, you know, like they were so happy, so grateful. And they shared everything, you know, like, even though we were part of the school program, we had lunch that we would take with us, they would make lunch and eat. They didn't have enough to eat themselves, but they were sharing it with us. And to me i you know like having seen you know like the injustice in my own country and then coming to going to south africa to see that that injustice is just equally you know as bad or as you know dehumanizing in in another part of the world that i absolutely Was oblivious to, you know, and going through that process, like it just changed my whole perspective in life because I was like, I had it bad, but there are other people in the world that had it just as bad, if not worse, you know, and going through the townships and living like basically like working with the children. It just, it was like, you know, I was so grateful to be there, but I also felt like I wish I had the power to do more, you know? And basically, it just inspired me to not take life for granted, to make like every day count and to like continue to do better as a human, because we don't need to have everything. We don't need to be wholesome. We don't need to be full, you know, but we can we can do with the little we have and it can be impactful. I love that.
0: Thank That's you. So true.
1: And one story I will tell you, I am from South Africa. And I always share this with other people as well, because it means so much to me. I didn't buy any gifts throughout the time that I was there. Uh, I waited to the end. I was like, I'm just gonna buy it from GAPA, which is Grandmothers Against Poverty and AIDS. And I bought it from them. And basically, um, as I was like getting in the car, like one of the grandmothers came and gave me a hug and I looked at her. I was kind of like, you know, not sure what was happening. I was like, oh, she's just saying bye. But she was like, she was like, thank you. You put some bread on my table tonight. And it was so hard for me to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I knew that was making a difference, but I didn't know the impact of it. And I didn't know that it would just mean so much to her, you know, because, you know, I have been through a lot of rough times myself, but I don't think I realized it until that point what, you know, the little things that we do, how much it could mean to other people. And how much that could change something for them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so since then, when I came back, I started working with um, EWI, which is Empowered Women International. And they actually helped women, um, you know, of low-income refugees, migrants, by training them and by providing them with the tools they need to become entrepreneurs. And there I actually met Marga. Marga was the founder the founder of EWI. And when I met Marga, I just felt like she was an inspiration. She was the type of person that, like, I wanted to look up to because she was so kind. She was so gentle, generous, just... And like full of purpose, full of life. And when you like when you talk to her, it would be like like you know, you felt like the weight of the world would come off your shoulders. And she was, you know, every day she would come into work like at wee hours of the morning, and she would work all the entire day, probably like later than everyone she was never tired she was never exhausted and I was like how does she do it you know like she like how do you get so much energy and that I I wanted to work with her but I because of like my financial situation and me being the provider and the family I just couldn't work there for long but she was part of the reason why I decided like I wanted to continue this volunteership, and I wanted to work with other people because the things that you go through, it just doesn't happen. It happens for a reason. It happens so that you learn something from it. So I see every misfortune not as a misfortune or not as something to break me, but for something to teach me, a lesson. Because we are all human. We go through these struggles, trials. And the best thing we could do for ourselves is to take those as a lesson. To understand that the force is not working against us, but it's working with us. Basically, that's how I see life. No matter what happens, you just, you know, like... You just learn to let go of the things that happen to you. Because if you dwell on it for too long, it's just going to hold you back from serving your purpose, from being present, from allowing yourself to grow, you know. Because it, you yourself can be the change maker, you know. And when you go through a process and you learn something from it, if you share that with others, somebody else might learn something from that, you know? And that's basically like the process that I have been, that has led me to the work that I'm doing today. Um, I started Fresh Start. um, Well, it started like this, basically. Um, you remember the refugee crisis in 2015, 2016 in Las Vegas, Greece, and Turkey. Some of our friends went to Turkey, and so we collected you know, donations, we raised funds, we helped our friends go there. But some of us couldn't go, like myself, because I had a job, and they just wouldn't give me the time to go. So I was like, what could I do? here to help you know with the refugee issues um and we started a group um basically just collecting donations at the mosque and then sorting through donations and dropping it off at catholic charities and from there we started helping catholic charities with um you know, like cultural orientation classes. We helped with tutoring some of the people that need, like after the 30, 90 day period who needed help with rent. We started helping them with rent and um, we fundraised for families who had medical issues. And um, in my family hosted several families for weeks in our house. And um, we also um, helped with, you know, like, uh, set, um, what do you call it, vulnerable cases that, you know, where the family had a medical need, mental health need or something like that. And by 2017, we were like, we're doing so much of this work. Let's start like an organization where we can actually do this on a larger scale. And um, we started Fresh Start, and the reason I chose Fresh Start, or we chose Fresh Start—I don't want to just say me because there, some of my very dear friends helped in the process of that. So we chose Fresh Start because I had a fresh start when I came to this country. That was my opportunity. That was an opportunity that was given to me. That I appreciated and took full advantage of. And I wanted to provide that fresh start to someone else, like to allow them to, you know, go through that journey of finding light, finding hope and making the refuge process like a lot easier, you know,
0: one of the things that I noticed on your fresh start website was the words of dignity and respect as part of that fresh start. And those really stood out to me. And obviously, you know, you shared some of the journey, why that's so important.
1: I, I, I've been on both ends. Like I said,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: I've been on the end of like, you know, where the oppressor, mm-hmm. you know, And then I've been on this end, which has changed my life for the better, you know, which is one of the reasons why I like, you know, studied human rights, because I wanted to understand it to the best way possible, because we talk about human rights so much, but oftentimes we don't really get into like the nitty gritty stuff, you know, like it, it could be human rights are not that complicated, but we make it complicated, you know? Like treating others with respect, with dignity, with just kindness, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take anything away from us, mm-hmm. you know? It's just that simple, <laughs> you know? Like why, we, like why do we make our differences get in the way of things? You know, when we can, like, together, we can accomplish so much more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So what would your advice be to an American citizen that's from, that grew up in the U.S. who encounters a refugee? What would you advise them to do? Or what what would be your words of wisdom to them?
1: I would say
0: be gentle. Be be very
1: gentle because you don't know anybody's story we don't know anyone's story you know and just by you don't have to give anything anyone any kind of like monetary like funds or anything you could just simply give them your words give them a helping hand you know and that when it that within itself makes a huge difference. I remember when I was in seventh grade, the first day, I didn't know I had to take the bus um, because my uncle dropped me off in the morning and this girl named Alexis, I'm still friends with her on Facebook. I love She it. just had a baby. Um, she picked me up from the, like, from the uh, office, and she took me around and basically showed me around school. She showed me where the bathroom was, which, you know, like, I didn't even know where to start. She showed me the whole school, where the library was, how to get to the office, and then she took me to class. Mind you, I didn't even really speak any English, so... She was just showing me things Mm -hmm. It was like the blind leading the blind. But she was like, you know, she's a person that I'll never forget. Because when I missed the bus, it was like as if like she was like an angel and she appeared Mm -hmm. like from nowhere. And she was like, what are you looking for? (laughs) And I I assume that's what she said. And I just told her, like, you know, I don't know where to go, basically. So she took me back to the office because she was playing. um, I think she played some kind of a sport. I just remember her being dressed. And um, she took me back to the office and I called my uncle. And I told him that I don't know how to get home. And he came and got me. But to this day, I don't, I would never forget Alexis, Mm -hmm. you know. And I wish I could remember her last name because I would totally say because she definitely deserves it. Um, and that was just the nicest thing that somebody could have done for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that simple. You know, it's, it's not, it's, you don't have to give anybody anything other than just your time mm-hmm. and just, you know, like a helping hand. Yeah. That
0: would be- my wisdom. That's good wisdom. So if somebody wants to support Fresh Start, what can they do?
1: We would love for them to, you know, like reach out, volunteer with us. Um, we have a mentorship program. We have um, workshops that we are doing for the families. We We are, you know, teaching them how to drive, how to get a license, how to Um, apply or register to school so or they could donate to us you know that would be the other option but you know they can't you know donate monetary funds like they could donate their time and that we would appreciate just as much if not more because I value time. Time is the most valuable thing to us because like, once it leaves, like once today's gone, it's gone. We can't get today back, Mm -hmm. you know? And so if someone is giving us their time, that's like something that they will never get back. And that is something that I appreciate wholeheartedly.
0: I love that. Well, I will put some information in the show notes as well. So people can find where Where fresh start is and where they can get involved. Mm -hmm. You are awfully inspiring. And I, you know, I wrote down a lot of things that you said, but I have just held on to what you said about appreciating light. And that's a really powerful statement. I'm definitely going to take that with me from this conversation. And I'm just so grateful for your time and for you sharing your remarkable journey from you know, childhood to adulthood and how you're bringing that light to others um, and taking your experiences that way. So I just wanna thank you for, for that. And I wanna ask you, if you don't mind, a couple of our end of podcast questions as well. So- We've talked about illuminating. You've shared a lot about that. But who is somebody that illuminates in your life?
1: I would say my uncle and my parents, obviously, because I love all of them so dearly. But my uncle is the one who got us out of that darkness. He has been the biggest, my biggest supporter. And he never once said, oh, you're a girl or you are you can't do this, anything I basically brought up to him. He was like, yes, you can do it, go for it. If you need me to do anything, let me know, you know? And that within itself gave me the courage to continue to just kind of, you know, go after the things that I wanted to because I knew like if at any point in my life, even now as an adult, like I need advice, I'm in trouble. I need anything. I could just turn to him and be like, hey, you know, I'm in trouble. Can you help me? And like, no matter what he has been through, he's always like there.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. Do you, do you have any book recommendations? Yes. Because <laughs> I love books. Tell me. Um, Give me your I, top one or two.
1: My... Top one and two would be The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. It's one of my favorite books. Um, and then The uh, Alchemist by Paola... I I forgot his last name.
0: I Kat love both Paola. of those books.
1: Yeah. Those I absolutely love because it, it kind of like... Um, like stayed with me. Like I never forget the stories of it. And like, even though both of them are really short books. Um, but like the messaging within those two books are just so inspiring and, um, you know, it it gets you moving,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, I have a friend that used to read the alchemist once a year as like just a refresher and I, I actually listen to it. <laughs> what's
1: that I actually listen to it
0: oh ah, um, yeah uh,
1: like I listen to like maybe a little bit of like different parts of it like when I'm driving to work
0: sometimes I love that
1: because it's just kind of like I want to see how my day would go but I'm like it, if I'm listening to it I want to know where he is in his journey at that you know, point, And it kind of helps. I don't know. Um, I listen to a lot of things when I'm driving to work because it just like, gets the day going. And it gives me something to kind of like reflect on.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that.
1: Um, so I, I usually listen to that here and there sometimes. Yeah, it's a very short book. It's basically like 27 poems, or 27 stories. And it goes into details of like, life, you know, children, destiny, um, all of these things that, you know, he, he gives you a different perspective on all of those things. Mm-hmm.
0: So those are yeah. great recommendations. And lastly, what is your message for the world? Um, I actually wrote this down because I really wanted to
1: share this. Awesome. Um, There's a quote by Camilla Tulno. Uh, She's from Copenhagen. She is an artist and a writer. And she said in the quote, be like the moon and inspire people even when you're far from full. And I want to share that because we don't have to be full or wholesome to make a difference, to be light in other people's lives. We can inspire others by just being our perfectly imperfect selves. And we should always focus on being present and appreciating everything around us, all the little things, because it matters. And be generous, be kind to all, Um, because life is too short. It's really short, actually, to let our differences get in the way of our purpose, why we're here. So if you can, every person can teach another, so each one can teach one, and you could be the impact in the world, in the lives of others, in your community, and wherever you are, you're capable of bringing light in someone else's life.
0: How amazing is Neelib? You can find in the show notes more information about Fresh Start Refugee Assistance Center. And I hope you end your 2021 in a hopeful, happy, healthy way. And we look forward to bringing you new episodes in the new year. You can also check out the other Sandy Boy Production podcasts on our website. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Thanks and have a wonderful week.